welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. I'm really excited about this new season of messages. It's already started with the amazing Chris all about healing and looking at that as a church. We really feel that we're entering a time where God's going to do more stuff um, with healing. It's going to be releasing more healing to not just here, but a lot of places in New Zealand and and churches and and ministries. But um, to, to like God heals mostly through people. So we have to be prepared. We have to be ready and willing and like, I was expecting a thunderous applause right there, but obviously we're not ready, which is great because I'm doing a message to get us ready. Uh, so it's all about healing, and um, I'm really excited about it. And, and a re- couple of reasons, because we definitely, like, to see more healings, we just need to pray for more people. Yeah. Like, it's not, like, uh, if, if one person out of ten people you pray for get healed, to, to just, just with maths and not just God moving more, um, to see more healings, you just pray for more people. You pray for 20, you'll get two healed. So, um, so we're just going to mobilize you guys and, and, and help you guys just step out in faith yourself. Um, but also, as the last message series we, we did um, on giving, I was just so blessed that many of you just didn't listen to that message. You took that message on board and, and, and you uh, just put the principles in place. And as a result, you're seeing financial blessing in your life. So I think the greatest gift you can give any sort of preacher um, that's, that's genuine um, and is moving in the will of God is just not just to hear the message, but put it into practice in your life. And, and you'll see God do incredible things, not just in your life, but in others as well. Um, so that's why I'm excited. If we can have that same passion that we did for that um, with this heal, healing series, it's just going to be phenomenal. So just to get into it real quick, from beginning to the end of the Bible, um, the Bible teaches that God is a supernatural God, that God heals um, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God healed right throughout the Bible, he's still healing today. And um, that's just an incredible thing, even just that. Um, but taking it a little bit, unpacking that a little bit more, therefore, healing is a big part of our inheritance as God's sons and daughters and a significant part of our mission as disciples of Jesus. But... Thinking about that a lot lately, I think that there's two big challenges now that we face. First of all, we are blessed to live in a society and a country where medicine and medical aid is, is freely available. And that is an absolute blessing of God. Um, that, that medicine is so easily accessible. It's either, you know, if, if you, you hurt yourself, you go up to ED and it's pretty much free. And, or GPs, they're very reasonable compared to other places. We don't have to have health insurance in this country. Um, so all that's a blessing from God, but the downside of that is, is because of that, many of us have more faith in doctors than we do in God. We have more faith in a doctor that says, um, you'll never walk again than in God who says, take up your mat and walk. So medicine's amazing, absolutely. We were praying for my son who had a headache this morning, but he got some Panadol as well, so it sort of works in tandem with each other. There's nothing to do with that. God's given us medicine, but our faith needs to be in God because sometimes medicine's not going to do what God can only do. Um, The second challenge we face is that we're living in a society um, that's absolutely drenched and dripping with humanism uh, and unbelief. Unbelief is when you hear about God and you actively stand against, against it. You don't lean in. Um, and th- 
unfortunately, many Christians take that into the church. It's an actual spirit. Um, back in Jesus' day, he wrestled with it. He went to a synagogue to, to, to teach and to, and to pray for people. Uh, and because that people in the actual synagogue, which is similar to church, was carrying unbelief and unbelieving attitude in that place, Jesus, it says, wasn't able to do many mighty miracles because of their unbelief. Our attitude changes the atmosphere. And, and we're living in a, in a time, in a society where unbelief is everywhere. So unfortunately, sometimes we take that into church. That's one. The other one is humanism. And the definition of humanism is simply this, an approach to life based on human reasoning. An approach to life based on human reasoning. So to be a humanist, you, you, you hear about healing, especially the supernatural God. And what we do if we've got humanistic thinking or if we're humanist Christians, we will get together around some coffee, maybe call it a connect group, and we'll just spend a couple of hours reasoning away the supernatural and make excuses for why God is not doing these things that we see Him do in the Bible. Like humanism and Christianity should be poles apart. Same with Christianity and unbelief. But we've got to sort of take inventory of our lives because don't want to hack you off or offend you, but maybe we're carrying a lot more unbelief and humanism into church and into our faith than we realize. Boom. Roasted. And um, just, just one more um, foundation. I grew up in a very traditional evangelical church and I love my heritage because it gave me a good foundation of the Bible was when I was at an Easter camp when I was about 15, 16 and one of my friends needed a miracle. He had such a bad back and a bit of a rogue youth leader because you weren't really supposed to talk about the Holy Spirit and miracles at those places. Um, so let's just get around and, and pray for him. So he actually got us guys, we didn't have a clue what we were doing, uh, to pray for my mate. He had an absolute miraculous supernatural healing in his back um, and that just blew my mind. Like, God is a healing God. And I, I thank God for that. It, wasn't a couple of, it was a couple of years after that that I got filled with the Holy Spirit, had the experience of, of the power of God. So um, my background, absolutely love Pentecostalism, but I also love the orthodox, balanced teaching of the Bible as well. And, and when we get those two right, the power of God and the presence of God, we honor those, which we do as a church, you know, anything is possible. I love that. I, I love our, our, our values as a church. So the way I'm going to do this is going to teach a couple of um, basic Bible truths, and then we're going to address some of the elephants in the room regarding healing. Um, then I'm going to take like one takeaway thing that we can put into practice in our life right now, then we're going to have the band up and pray for, pray for people to be healed. So I'm pretty excited about that. So part one, the biblical teaching. Why is it important to have some biblical teaching? Because some people say, well, let's just have a whole lot of testimonies and, um, just, and pray for people. And, and we're going to have testimonies along the way, by the way. But why is it good to have biblical teaching? My opinion about this is a correct and accurate understanding of healing builds and releases faith. And correct and accurate understanding of healing builds and releases faith. In 1 John 5.14, it says, if we ask anything according to God's will, He hears us. So when we understand that it's God's will to heal, that, that God doesn't want His kids to be sick, we can absolutely have all the confidence that we are praying in accordance with the will of God if someone comes up and wants healing. But if you're a little bit shaky with this and you think that God gives heal, uh, sickness as some sort of warped blessing for you, um, then I'm faced with a problem. If I'm praying for you, then, and if it's God's will for you to be sick, then I'm going to be praying against God's will. Um, and so how's that going to build faith in my life? It never builds faith. 
Um, it doesn't actually work when you pray against God's will. It's called witchcraft. Christy really told me this week to, to look after, to be careful about what I say. My assistant pastor, on the other hand, saying, yeah, Simon, just go, go for it. So which one do I listen to? <laughs> okay, number one. Number one. Healing is a big part of God's nature. Healing is a big part of God's nature. Just talking about healing, how it relates to God the Father this morning. And throughout the Bible, especially the, the Old Testament, we see that God actually introduces himself and calls himself several names. And, and that is very important and specific because especially in the Old Testament, um, actually throughout the Middle East and many parts today, names are very important because it's a prophetic declaration over someone, number one. And number two, it really shows and describes the character and the nature of that person. So when God calls himself something, he's basically telling us and teaching us and showing us his very nature, who he is. And he does this uh, many, many times. Here's just a few. Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord, our provider. Um, you can look in the Bible notes if you want um, the scripture references. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. So these are, these are all, all about who God is. Jehovah Ra, the Lord is our shepherd. Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord, our righteousness, which is amazing. In Exodus 15, 26, it says, Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord who heals you. That's God's name. He names himself that, which shows his very nature. I am the Lord who heals you. Does God want to heal you? Yes, because it's part of his nature. It's who he is. He never called himself Jehovah, I am the Lord who blesses you with sickness. Don't see that in the Bible. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our healer. I am the Lord who heals you. It's who he is. Healing is God's character. Healing is who God is. And there are pockets of, of, of Christianity throughout the world that believe that God doesn't heal anymore. And um, that's not just even, it's not a distortion of God's character. It's a, it's a perversion of God's character because it's his very character. You can't go against his character. I am the Lord who heals you. Number one, healing is a big part of God's nature. It's who he is. And number two, our God is a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who he is. Our God is a good Father. And again, right throughout the Bible, you just need to do a, a word search on the goodness of God on the theme of that. It's just, the Bible is absolutely filled with how good God is. And um, I just take, like, took three from Psalms. Again, Psalms is full of, full of all of, about how the goodness of God is everywhere, but just, just three. Psalm 31, 19. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. That fear is like respect and awe of God. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. Like God's storing up his goodness for you. Psalm 34 verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Note that it doesn't stay study and debate, that the Lord is good. And we can do that and we should and it's great to have a discussion. 
But this proves that it's not just an intellectual faith. It's an emotional faith. It's an experiential faith. We can experience God tangibly. Taste and see. There are both very tangible things that the Lord is good. Psalm 86 verse 5. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Our God is a good Father. He is Good. And um, you know, for those of us that are dads and mums here, hopefully we, are, we would consider ourselves not terrible parents, maybe okay parents, maybe some of us sort of good parents. I would like to think that I'm a good dad. I don't want anything to happen to my kids that hurt them. Like My perfect will for my kids is that they be well, that they be blessed in life. A couple of years ago we had New Year's Eve and... Everyone in our family got hit with a spew bug, except for me, because I was praying more than ever. No, I don't know why. Um, but yeah, it was so sad. Like I think Christy got hit with it like the day before, then Micah, and then like we were we'd planned like a whole evening of jackpot box games for New Year's Eve as a family. That was awesome. But one by one, like like all my family were dropping and they're just like spewing and going to bed until I was the only one left. It was like the most worst New Year's Eve ever in the history of mankind. Uh, but my heart broke for every single one of my family because I, don't, I didn't want to see them sick. Like the perfect will for me, for my kids, like there's no way I want to see them go through hell. Like that's my per- I just don't want to see them go through that. So with that in mind, Matthew 7, verse 9, 11, this is what Jesus says, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Jesus is saying, you, you guys as parents, you know, you're pretty stuffed up. You're human beings. You know what's best for you because you, you want the best for them. How much more do I want the best for you? Like a billion, trillion, bazillion times more than the world's best father. God doesn't want you to go, th- go through those things. He doesn't. He's a loving father. He's full of goodness and kindness. That's his perfect will. Why does he allow some things to happen? I don't have a clue. There is a big difference between God's perfect will for you and some things that he allows. I can't understand that. But I can say with in my 48 years of experience and most of that walking with Jesus, because God's a loving dad, he's not going to give you cancer as some sort of warped blessing for you. It's part of the curse. Is sickness good? No. It came into the world as a result of the fall of man. When I was um, younger, and only the older people in this auditorium will remember, like those Jack T. Chick tracts. Can you remember those, those comics? They're usually all about demons and they freaked you out um, to get to give your life to Jesus. Um, can anyone remember those? Like, and almost always at the end, they had this like God as this real angry, huge, distant, faceless mean monster and like I think maybe that kept me on the straight and narrow a little bit um, having a, an unhealthy fear of God with that um, but 
as a result, I always thought that God was angry with me, that God was far away, that he wasn't personal. He was always disappointed in me. If you have a, a um, performance-based Christianity, you, you will know what I'm talking about. Um, God's a good father. It's all about sonship. So if you have that misunderstanding of the character of God, it will be and quite a small jump for you to then believe that, that God wants to give you sickness as some sort of blessing for your life. Because in your understanding, maybe your subconscious, you'll, un, you'll think, well, God's always angry anyway. And so character that you think is, is God, like faceless, distant, always angry, then it'll make sense that he wants to make you sick all the time. So, but that's not the character of God. God is good, again, right throughout the Bible. God is so kind, so full of goodness, slow to get angry, quick to forgive. That's the Father that we serve. So what about when people don't get healed, which we, we need to talk about? Because most of the time when we pray for healing, like um, the occasional person gets healed, most people don't. Um, and so that's a question that probably, all, and it always comes up, um, and we always have to wrestle with, with why don't people get healed if it's God's will? To heal, we, I think there's one of three responses we have to that. Um, so first of all, we can avoid the issue altogether. Like, because it's too difficult to explain why God doesn't, like we don't see healing take place. So uh, we, we avoid it, um, which is what a lot of people do. When you pray for someone and, and nothing happens, then it's very embarrassing and awkward. And that's something, a reason why we avoid the issue. Uh, a big reason is because we, we have a heart, a genuine heart for people. It breaks our heart when we, we pray for a sick person and they don't get healed. And you see the disappointment in their face and their heart and, and the disillusionment there. And, 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 and that does break your heart. So um, that's one, one response we can have to that question. Let's just avoid the issue altogether and play it down um, and sort of try and forget about it. Just talk about God's goodness, but don't really see it or pray for it. Secondly, is we can adjust our theology, which simply means our belief about God. We can adjust our belief about God to fit our experience. So we understand that God is healer in the Bible, but in our experience, we're not seeing it happen and we can't explain it. So what we tend to do is we shape our theology based on our experience. It's what culture is doing right now. Um, we are looking at the Bible through the lens of culture, um, and then we're basically changing what the Bible says um, in, through the lens of the culture that we're living in our time and what's popular opinion. And many people do this with healing because they've had a very um, big disappointment in their life or they're disillusioned. They've had, really had faith for someone or maybe um, a loved one um, or a family member has passed away. They, they believe, were believing for healing. What can so easily happen is we can now then shift our theology and our belief and understanding about God to fit our experience. And when we do that, we reduce the magnificence and the glory of God into man-made thinking. Because we take what the Bible says and we say, no, that's not true in my situation, so I'm just going to shape and mold my understanding of God to fit my experience. When we do that, we make God in, in, in our own image, the image of our thinking, which is idolatry. I don't know if you guys 
um, followed um, Bill Johnson and, and what's happened to him in recent months is his wife passed away. So Bill Johnson, absolutely phenomenal pastor and leader, um, apostle. Um, Bethel Church has done incredible things. Like out of all the church movements I know of, they're seeing more legitimate, verified healings than any other. So they, they're, they're leading the charge with this. I've got huge respect for them. But just imagine that the leader of that movement, his, his wife passes away, his wife dies of cancer. And that would have been heartbreaking. How do you actually work through that when you're known as the healing church and, and your wife passes away? So very soon, like just days after that happened, this is what Bill Johnson preached like he preached the next week. And I quote, The backslider in heart will always judge God by what he didn't do. But those who run with tenderness for who he is will always define him by what he has said, by what he has promised, by what he's done. And to be as honest as I know how to be, I've seen too much of his kindness to think anything other than that he is absolutely good, always good. Now that is phenomenally profound when you think of what the man's just gone through. So I'm going to read it again. The backslider in heart will always judge God by what he didn't do. But those who run with tenderness for who he is will always define him by what he has said, by what he has promised, and by what he has done. And to be as honest as I know how to be, I have seen too much of his kindness to think anything other than that he is absolutely good, always good. As a church, we could adjust our thinking and our teaching and preaching and experience because of our experience and sort of dumb everything down. But... Every person in every church that does that, like healings significantly decrease. Get a church that actively defends why God doesn't do stuff and makes a theology about it and a foundational, um, like the theology is based on disappointment, will hardly ever see the power of God and the glory of God and healings take place. Because again, it's all about faith. But those that dare to keep pressing in and keep believing what the Bible says, despite what we experientially see. And when faith rises and there's enough of us that dare to push unbelief away and lean into belief, God starts to move. Who wants to see that happen in Renew Church? And who is desperate to see that happen in Renew Church? Man, we've been praying about this for years. You go to every Sunday morning prayer meeting, we're praying the same thing, God move. Who wants to see God move? Who dares to push our experience away and just to grab hold of the, the character of God and to dare to, and to refuse to, to let our experience shape our theology? Third response we can have. We can choose to trust God's character and be content to live in the paradox. We can choose to trust God's character and be content to live in the paradox because there is a paradox. So we, we see what the Bible says that Jesus healed all who came to him and we're believing for that, but, but we're living in this crazy world that, we're not seeing that all the time. I think we just need to be okay with that, and God's going to explain it one day for us all anyway. Now, the Bible teaches to have a childlike faith. We actually don't need to work everything out. We don't need to know. Maybe sometimes God doesn't give us the permission to know everything. Like, you know those, those documentaries, Unsolved Mysteries? <laughs> Now, I, love watch, I love watching those, but I hate watching them because like, I always want to try and work out 
why something's happened. So you're, like, you're so frustrated with yourself uh, because it's like, I wanted to see it all come, like the mystery solved. So then you go on Reddit and try and like spend hours um, literally just like, oh, I wanted to work this out because there's something in us that wants to work everything out. But kids actually don't need to, they don't have that burden to just work everything out. If it works, it works. Like if it doesn't, it's like, let's go ride my bike. I don't know what happened. Like, <laughs> Luke 13, verse 1 to 5. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? He asked. Like, and I can just imagine all the theologians and all the scholars and all the studies like, oh, this is my chance. Like, I get to actually share what I think uh, about the situation, why this happened. And did, God, did Jesus give them any time? No, he just says, uh, and then it says, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? And then he, straight away, it's like, not at all. Like, he doesn't even give them a chance to respond to the question. Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. He, he didn't allow them to start making up all these reasons why uh, and to explain away what had happened. He just shifted their attention to, hey, your soul and your eternal destiny is actually more important. Focus on that uh, because that's, that's, that's the thing that we need to focus our life on. And then he reiterates the thing. Uh, and what about the 18 people who died with the tower in Sil- when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners, the worst sinners in Jerusalem, which oh, a lot of people thought, that because bad things happen to you, then obviously you must be bad. Um, again, Jesus doesn't give any room for debate. He just says no. So obviously that wasn't the reason why, but he doesn't give an answer. All he says, and I tell you again that unless you repent, you too will perish. Like, I love studying the Bible and I love theology and absolutely we need to have a balanced and accurate, spirit-filled theology. But just imagine if you're into fishing, like Eddie's just a fishing nut and some of you guys. It's like, I start up a fishing club and it's like every week, it's like, come along, we're gonna like, fishing's our heart, our passion. So Eddie comes along, ready to go fishing and I'm just like, okay, this week we're gonna look at this great new rod. And it's like phenomenal, and I don't even know much about fishing, just just imagine I am. And, and then, okay, next week I pick, I pick up this lure. We just, let's talk about all our favorite lures this, this weekend. This is going to be amazing. We're talking about, and then the next week we talk about our different types of bait, and like weeks and weeks and weeks. And Eddie's thinking, what the heck? Like, I thought we were going to go fishing. But instead, like, we just get together every week and we just talk about fishing and talk about the best way of fishing and talk about all the exciting things we want to do when we go fishing, but you never actually go fishing. You just always just talk about it. And that's exactly the same as a lot of us. We just prefer sitting around with a cup of coffee and talk about the things of God instead of experiencing the things of God and doing what God has told us to do. I'm preaching to myself because, oh man, I love talking about God. I'd rather have a puppy than go fishing. Like Julian was saying, Simon, just think of you know, how much it costs to have a puppy. What, like, you can go fishing with all that money. It's like, who, like puppy and fishing? Pfft. Heaven and hell, guys. It's just like... Okay, practical advice. Just one, 
one takeaway that we can do today when it regard, with regards to healing. Grow in compassion or pray for compassion because true compassion leads to a revelation of God's desire to heal and that in turn releases faith. True compassion leads to a revelation of God's desire to heal and that in turn releases faith. David Campbell, who's an incredible Bible teacher, says this, what we need in the church is not more power, what we need is more compassion. If compassion comes, the power will not be far behind. Which is, is, is pretty amazing, and if you're anything like me, like because I've got a very soft heart, I, I, I put up walls because it's just, like this world is broken and people are hurting and, and to engage and to involve yourself in that, man, that's going to rip your heart out. It really does. So a lot of the time it's just easier to introvert yourself and just think, well, I'm not even going to be involved because it's just too hard to get into other people's lives and, 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 and have compassion for them. But we see that actually Christianity is getting dirty and getting immersed into the brokenness of this world and shining Jesus' love and his hope. And that's going to break our heart. Like, I'm not excited about preaching that. But that's the gospel. That's part of the Great Commission, going and making disciples of all nations. And this is what Jesus did. And this is what fueled his passion for healing. Matthew 14, verse 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 20, 34, uh, two blind guys begging for, for um, sight to be restored. Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. Instantly they could see. Like, felt sorry, compassionate. Like, Jesus just didn't, his heart just didn't break. It fueled him to, to want more and to grab a hold of, like, God heals, therefore I'm going to heal. It's his, it's his passion. That was his mission. Now, before Jesus said, go and make disciples, he, said, he told us to go and heal people. Matthew 8, verses 1 to 3. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down from the mountain. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. And scholars that have pulled that sentence apart and really dug into it and um, unpacked it, they say this. The willingness of Jesus on this occasion is indicative of God's constant active intent. God is actively and constantly willing to heal. The willingness of Jesus on this occasion is indicative of God's active and constant intent. I love that. It's one thing we can do right now if we want to start this journey towards healing and understanding God and then reaching out to see, see people move, uh, get healed in the power of Jesus is to pray for compassion. Um, when you're tempted with like shutting off and retracting, actually saying, no, God, I, want to be involved. I'm not, I don't want to be involved, but I'm going to be involved in this situation. And then we'll be moved with compassion, and then that will fuel our prayers, and that will, that will strengthen our faith. So let's have the band up, please. Finish with this verse, Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. You know that verse that's about the, the, the laborers are a few, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And, and we take that um, as just a single 
verse and we use that so often for discipleship and for evangelism and for mission and call. And, and we all need to do that because that's important. But again, just, just reading the paragraph in its entirety, it actually gives us a lot more sense of that. So starting at verse 35 again, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Look at the context. Had compassion on the crowds. They were broken. They were lost. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.